Part four, chapter five of the life of Florence Nightingale, volume one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Florence Nightingale, Volume One by Edward Tyus Cook. The Religious Sanction Suggestions for Thought Continued. Parts four, five, and six. Miss Nightingale, then, in addition to her other activities, is to be reckoned among the strenuous seekers after truth in religion and philosophy. The suggestions had their immediate origin, as I have explained already, in a desire to meet by some positive reconstruction the negative free thinking among the working classes, and the first volume was addressed on the title page and by a dedication to the artisans of England. Mr. Jowett criticized this restricted appeal. A book cannot be written, he said, for the artisans separated from the educated classes. It must embrace them both. There is one intellectual world with common ideas, and the more permanent part of that is the world of the higher classes. Therefore, I would urge you not to write for the artisans, but to write for everybody. And Mr. Mill had written, There is much in the work which is calculated to do great good to many persons besides the artisans to whom it is more especially addressed. There was some force, too, especially in regard to the more abstract argument of the first and third volumes, in what Monsieur Mole said, that she had set out to give the working classes a religion, and that she gave them a philosophy instead. The address of the book to artisans became palpably untenable when Miss Nightingale passed in the second and longest volume to practical deductions and to a criticism of life as lived among the upper ten. Her sense of humor perceived the incongruity, and the second and third volumes were addressed generally to searchers after religious truth. The address to artisans is only significant as illustrating a phase of Miss Nightingale's interests. The essential significance of the book in the story of her life is the revelation which it gives of her own mind in its search after truth and of the conclusions in which she ultimately found support. I have been much struck in reading the book by the number of illustrations which Miss Nightingale draws from nursing, medicine, and administration. It may be said, I think, that the line of speculation followed in her suggestions for thought was the result of reflection upon those data by a mind which was at once intensely spiritual and severely logical. We come very near to the root of the thing in her mind in this passage of tender and yet humorous autobiography. When I was young, I could not understand what people meant by their thoughts wandering in prayer. I asked for what I really wished, and really wished for what I asked, and my thoughts wandered no more than those of a mother would wander, 
who was supplicating her sovereign for her son's reprieve from execution. I liked the morning service much better than the afternoon, because we asked for more things. I was always miserable if I was not at church when the litany was said. How ill-natured it is if you believe in prayer not to ask for everybody what they want. I well remember when an uncle died the care I took on behalf of my aunt and cousins to be always present in spirit at the petition for the fatherless children and widows and when Gonfalonieri was in the Austrian prison of Spielberg at that for prisoners and captives. My conscience pricked me a little whether this should extend to those who were in prison for murder and debt, but I supposed that I might pray for them spiritually. I could not pray for George the Fourth. I thought the people very good who prayed for him, and wondered whether he could have been much worse if he had not been prayed for. William the Fourth, I prayed for a little, but when Victoria came to the throne, I prayed for her in a rapture of feeling, and my thoughts never wandered. To this simple faith of youth, experience succeeded. A patient might pray for sleep, but laudanum was more efficacious. What was the use of praying to be delivered from plague and pestilence, so long as the common sewers were still allowed to run into the Thames? If God sent a visitation of cholera, which was the more probable reading of his mind, that he sent it in order that men might pray to him for relief from it, or in order that they should themselves set about removing the predisposing causes. Miss Nightingale's conclusion was that if there be a plan in the universe, the plan must be other than what the popular religion of the day, logically interpreted, implies. God's scheme for us, she inferred, was not that he should give us what we asked for, but that mankind should obtain it for mankind. This was the germ from which Miss Nightingale's philosophy of religion was developed. She had read much in metaphysics and in theology. She had reasoned long with herself of providence, foreknowledge, will and fate, fixed fate, free will, foreknowledge absolute. She reasoned long, but did not feel herself in wandering mazes lost. She began with considering the nature of belief and showed that any true explanation of the term throws us back on the nature of the object of belief. The supreme object of belief we call God, but in different ages men have meant very different things by God. There is the savage idea of God, the Hindu, the Greek, the Israelite, and so forth. And there is the Christian idea, which again is widely different according to the patristic or theological notions and according to the popular one. This last required to be exalted and purified. The true idea of God, which is alone reconcilable with the deepest morality and with the widest contemplation of nature and history and the world is the idea 
not of an individual swayed by likings and personalities but of an universal being who is law the laws of god were she held discoverable by experience research and analysis or as she sometimes put it the character of god was ascertainable though his essence might remain a mystery the laws of God were the laws of life, and these were ascertainable by careful and especially by statistical inquiry. This is what I meant by saying in an earlier chapter that Miss Nightingale regarded the study of statistics with something of religious reverence. Statistics compiled by meteorologists have shown, she says in the suggestions, that storms can be foreseen when a ship goes down in an unforeseen gale do we say how could god permit such a dreadful calamity as the loss of all hands on board the devil must have done it no we say study the signs of approaching gales and you will not be lost is it not the same with moral evil the laws of which are just as calculable a copy of Ketelet's book, already mentioned, had been presented to her with the author's homage, respect, and affection. She often spoke of the Belgian statistician in similar terms. His book was in her eyes a religious work, a revelation of the will of God. In her annotated copy, she enlarged the title. The book was not merely an essai de physique sociale. It exhibited the sense of infinite power, the assurances of solid certainty, and the endless vista of improvement from the principles of physique sociale, if only found possible to apply on occasions when it is so much wanted. A very large if, many will say, as in effect her father constantly said in written discussions with her on these subjects but her reply was always the same the greater the difficulty the more the need for serious study with the concentrated study of mankind upon the problem the answer would be found truth is so said her friend truth is not what one troweth said she and there was no phrase oftener on her lips in serious conversation she went on to develop this idea of god as law in relation to human fate and to those problems of free will and necessity which milton thought to be inscrutable mysteries and around which metaphysicians and logicians have for ages disputed she found her ultimate solution in a hypothesis which mr mill told her that he had at one time tried but abandoned the hypothesis of a being who willing only good leaves evil in the world solely in order to stimulate human faculties by an unremitting struggle against every form of it a perfect being who created a perfectible one and so ordered the world that its course should be a constant struggle towards perfection miss nightingale did not blink 
the fact that her hypothesis left mysteries unexplained the finite cannot apprehend the infinite we cannot she wrote understand the existence of god willing laws we cannot understand the perfect being all this appears to me exactly what we ought to allow to be a mystery but she held with bossuet that il ne faut pas confondre la question de la nature de dieu avec celle des rapports de dieu et du monde we ought she continued with all our mights to learn the perfections not to understand the perfect to study his character and his laws not his essence or how he lives willing his laws it is evident that creation is a mystery but god's end and object in creating need not be a mystery everybody tells us that the existence of evil is incomprehensible whereas i believe it is much more difficult it is impossible to conceive the existence of god or even of a good man without evil good and evil are relative terms and neither is intelligible without the other without supposing then that she had solved the ultimate riddle of the universe miss nightingale had hold of an hypothesis which solved for her many of the mediate riddles it seemed to her to contain a lofty conception of god to justify his ways to men to explain the supposed war between free will and necessity her views on some of these high matters will perhaps be made clearer by the letter of explanation which she wrote to her father in sending him a copy of some of her stuff old burlington street july sixth eighteen fifty nine dear papa i shall be so pleased to send you some of my works as you are so good as to wish to read them i have asked aunt mai to send you the shortest a portion of volume one i think the subject is this granted that we see signs of universal law all over this world that is law or plan or constant sequences in the moral and intellectual as well as physical phenomena of the world granted this we must in this universal law find the traces of a being who made it and what is more of the character of the being who made it if we stop at the superficial signs the being is something so bad as no human character can be found to equal in badness and certainly all the beings he has made are better than himself but go deeper and see wider and it appears as if this plan of universal law were the only one by which a good being could teach his creatures to teach themselves and one another what the road is to universal perfection and this we shall acknowledge is the only way for any educator whether human or divine to act these to teach men to teach themselves and each other if we could not depend upon god that is if this sequence were not always to be calculated upon 
in moral as well as in physical things if he were to have caprices by some called grace by others answers to prayer etc there would be no order in creation to depend upon there would be chaos and the only way by which man can have free will that is can learn to govern his own will to have what will he thinks right which is having his will free is to have universal order or law by some miscalled necessity i put this thus brusquely because philosophers have generally said that necessity and free will are incompatible it seems to have appeared to god that law is the only way on the contrary to give man his free will and this i have attempted to prove and further that this is the only plan a perfectly good omnipotent being could pursue ever dear papa your loving child f n i need not enter into the fundamental difficulty which mr mill found in this last assumption nor into the difficulties which mr jowett pointed out in a series of letters in miss nightingale's reconciliation of free will and necessity our concern here is with what she thought and the hypothesis satisfied her judgment it had the further result of giving her a rational basis for belief in a future life the chapter in which she discussed this subject seemed to mr jowett the most responsible and serious in the whole book he made some critical objections to details in the argument but her general line was in accordance with what we know to have been his own conviction on the subject namely that the evidence for a future life must be found in moral ideas and in a letter to miss nightingale he says i shall never give up the faith in immortality though i cannot determine or conceive the manner of another state of being that christ became a mass of clay again seems to me of all incredible things the most incredible to miss nightingale the belief followed logically from her general hypothesis the theory of perfectibility required a future state of infinite progress for each and all the theory of a good god required it the purpose of god as she conceived it is that in the end each and all shall in accordance with law desire and obtain to will right all sin and sorrow being but one of the processes through which mankind is learning and teaching hence it is that belief in a future in connection with human existence is essential to the belief that we are under righteous government how plain wrote mr nightingale to his daughter after reading the chapter are the steps of your argument the senses the reason the feelings appreciate the laws of goodness benevolence and righteousness in the thought of god but circumstances indicate a want of benevolence unless there is reason to believe in a future development therefore a continued existence is according to law mr jowett in his marginalia suggested that she might have made more of the opposite alternative if there is no future state then what of god what of human nature 
not only would there be an awful deception but a deception of all the best feelings and of those in which we most trust work out the supposition and look it full in the face and whether right or wrong it is hardly possible to suppress the temper of a demon towards the supreme being so miss nightingale intensely thought and therefore the idea of god as universal law willing human perfection gave her even greater security than is put forward in the lines from clough which i have placed at the head of this chapter she quoted them herself but added yes but truth is so that i shall not perish her speculations gave her a basis further for understanding what is meant by a philosophy of history miss nightingale to her father hampstead october twenty four eighteen sixty one seven years this very day since i began the fight for the army i think dicey's cavour and monckton milne's tocqueville in the quarterly the two most masterly sketches of a true statesman i have read for some time cavour's death was heroic in the prime of his glory and success working to the last but i am not sure that there is not something more heroic and more pathetic in tocqueville's broken-hearted but not in despair faithful to the end of the good fight lost although fought so well people call him narrow that is people who are so wide that they can do nothing themselves the unheroic tone of the teachers of the present day is bad as when excellent jowett says that in these days only exceptional cases can fight the good fight is not this the reason why these cases are exceptional and was there ever an age in so much need of heroism most just is the praise to tocqueville of imitating god in his statesmanship in reconciling man's free will and god's law the only mode in which god or statesman can govern but he is unfair to himself when he says he will not play the part of providence he did as far as he could he is untrue to himself in saying how little we can ever find out of the laws of history undoubtedly we have as yet found out hardly anything i suppose buckle has some of the crudest generalizations extant but did we study history as much as physical science would this be so is it not like the children who say i'm too little when told to do a difficult sum to attribute this to the inability of our reason surely god says just the contrary tocqueville tells us not to call events mysterious he calls upon governments to comprehend the mysterious influences mysterious only to our ignorance and i would drop the word altogether perhaps tocqueville was the first statesman who united an acknowledgment of the fact that according to the laws of god all human history could not have been other than it has been with the conviction that this instead of stimulating us to do nothing stimulates us to do everything above all her religious belief satisfied her as giving high motive to human conduct it linked 
in logical connection the service of man to the service of god it inspired with religious enthusiasm her conviction that each individual woman as well as man should be given the freedom to make the best of himself the doing of god's will that is according to her philosophy the discovery of causes and effects the rectification of errors the education of men to profit by their mistakes was the way to communion with god the reader may remember from previous chapters that florence nightingale was conscious of a call from god to be a saviour and that the tribute which she paid to her dear master sidney herbert was to call him a saver there are passages in the suggestions for thought which show with what significance she used those terms god's plan is that we should make mistakes that the consequences should be definite and invariable then comes some saviour christ or another not one saviour but many and one who learns for all the world by the consequences of those errors and saves us from them there must be saviours from social from moral error most people have not learnt any lesson from life at all suffer as they may they learn nothing they would alter nothing we sometimes hear of men having given a colour to their age now if the colour is a right colour those men are saviours miss nightingale's own work in the world at scutari for the health of the british soldier at home for hospitals for nursing and presently for india received from her philosophy a religious sanction section five how if at all it may be asked did she adjust her innermost beliefs to the current creeds of the day i shall not attempt to define what she did not define but a few remarks may be made was she unitarian or trinitarian i think that we may answer as we will she was very sure of god but very chary as we have seen of attempting to define his essence sometimes she seemed to think of god in a unitarian sense but there is a passage in the suggestions in which she philosophizes the trinity the perfect exists in three relations to other existence one as the creator of all other existence of its purpose and of the means of fulfilling its purpose this is the father two as partaken in these other modes of existence this is the son three as manifested to these other modes of existence this is the holy ghost then again was she protestant or catholic she used language at different times which might be interpreted in either direction but she used it at all times with some inner meaning of her own here is a letter which philosophizes an evangelical doctrine miss nightingale to her father hampstead september twenty sixth eighteen sixty three dear papa i am sure that if any one finds nourishment in renan or in any book i should be very sorry to depreciate it there is not so much solid food in books nowadays especially in religious books that we can afford to do so 
I always think of Madame Moles. I don't want any book writer to chew my food for me. Now, nearly all books are chewed food, especially religious books. What I dislike in Renan is not that it is fine writing, but that it is all fine writing. His Christ is the hero of a novel, he himself a successful novel writer. I am revolted by such expressions as charmant, délicieux, religion du par sentiment, in such a subject. As for the religion of sentiment, I really don't know what he means. It is an expression of Balzac's. If he means the religion of love, I agree and do not agree. We must love something lovable, and a religion of love must certainly include the explaining of God's character to be something lovable, of God's providence, which is the self-same thing as God's laws, as something loving and lovable. On the other hand, I go along with Christ, not with Renan's Christ, far more than most Christians do. I do think that Christ on the cross is the highest expression hitherto of God, not in the vulgar meaning of the atonement, but God does hang on the cross every day in every one of us. The whole meaning of God's providence, that is, his laws, is the cross. When Christ preaches the cross, when all mystical theology preaches the cross, I go along with them entirely. It is the self-same thing as what I mean when I say that God educates the world by his laws, that is, by sin, that man must create mankind, that all this evil, that is, the cross, is the proof of God's goodness, is the only way by which God could work out man's salvation without a contradiction. You say, but there is too much evil. I say there is just enough, not a millionth part of a grain more than is necessary to teach man by his own mistakes, by his sins, if you will, to show man the way to perfection in eternity, to perfection which is the only happiness. There were many points, on the other hand, at which Roman Catholicism strongly appealed to her. So marked is this attitude in the suggestions, in passages sometimes ironical, sometimes serious, that at one of the latter places Mr. Jowett's note in the margin is, the enemy will say this book is written by an infidel who has been a papist. But I wish that there were more of these sort of reflections showing the true relation of superstitious ideas to moral and spiritual religion. I can well believe that her friend Cardinal Manning, for whom she entertained a high respect, though she waged a battle royale against him on occasion, may sometimes have regarded her as a likely convert. But towards acceptance of Roman doctrines I find no ground for thinking that she was at any time inclined. Yet the spirit of Catholic saintliness, and especially that of the saints whose contemplative piety was joined to active benevolence, appealed strongly to her. She read books of Catholic devotion constantly, and made innumerable annotations in them and from them. She was greatly attracted by the writings of the Port Royalists, on which subject there is a long correspondence with her father. She admired intensely the aid which Catholic piety had given, and was to many of her own friends giving, to the Bermondsey nuns especially, and to the mother and sisters 
of the Trinita de Monti, towards purity of heart and the doing of everything from a right motive. Then again, to be businesslike was with Miss Nightingale almost the highest commendation, and in this character also the Roman Church appealed to her, its acceptance of doctrines and all their logical conclusions seemed to her businesslike its organization was businesslike its recognition of women workers was businesslike so then miss nightingale was broad-minded in her attitude towards creeds and churches for her own part she believed that religious truth was positive and could be discovered but in her outlook upon the beliefs of others she judged them by their fruits she asked not so much what was a man's or a woman's religious formula but whether it renewed a right spirit within them with religiosity if it was centred on self she had no sympathy is there anything higher she asked in thinking of one's own salvation than in thinking of one's own dinner i have always felt that the soldier who gives his life for something which is certainly not himself or his shilling a day whether he call it his queen or his country or his colours is higher in the scale than the saints or the fakirs or the evangelicals who some of them don't believe that the end of religion is to secure one's own salvation within the limits indicated by these remarks she would have agreed a good deal with what mrs carlyle said to john sterling i confess that i care almost nothing about what a man believes in comparison with how he believes if his belief be correct it is much the better for himself but its intensity its efficacy is the ground on which i love and trust him section six there is a school of philosophy much current in our day which carries this point of view further the meaning of a conception it tells us expresses itself in practical consequences if the conception be true religious truth is relative to the individual the way to test a religion is to live it if the philosophy of the pragmatists be right then few forms of religious creed can claim better witness to their truth than that wherein florence nightingale lived and moved and had her being she had remodelled her whole religious belief from beginning to end and had learnt to know god in the years immediately preceding her active work in the world her belief helped to sustain her natural courage amidst the horrors of scutari and the fever and the cold of balaclava it inspired the life of arduous labour to which she devoted herself on returning from the east it informed her unceasing efforts for the health of the army and the people for the reformation of hospitals for the creation of an art of nursing does someone echoing the words of monsieur mole which i have quoted above doubt whether any vital force can have proceeded from a belief in law as the thought of god and suggest that to herself as to others she was offering a stone instead of bread it was not so to her the religion which she found was as the body and blood of the most high it is impossible to doubt the spiritual intensity 
the religious fervor of passages such as these from the pages in suggestions for thought in which she describes communion with god if it is said we cannot love a law the mode in which god reveals himself the answer is we can love the spirit which originates which is manifested in the law it is not the material presence only that we love in our fellow creatures it is the spirit which bespeaks the material presence that we love shall we then not love the spirit of all that is lovable which all material presence bespeaks to us how penetrated must those have been who first genuinely had the conception who felt who thought whose imaginations helped them to conceive that the divine verity manifests itself in the human partakes itself becomes one with the human descends into the hell of sin and suffering with the human by being verily and indeed taken and received by the human we will seek continually and stimulate mankind to seek with us to prepare the eye and the ear of the great human existence that seeing it shall perceive and hearing it shall understand whether we eat or drink or whatsoever ye do do all to the glory of god to do it to the glory of god must be to fulfill the lord's purpose that purpose is man's increase in truth increase in right being the history of mankind should be will be one day the history of man's endeavor after increase of truth and after a right nature what does ignorant finite man want how great how suffering yet how sublime are his wants think of his wounded aching heart as compared with the bird and beast his longing eye his speaking countenance compared with these they show something of such difference but nothing nothing compared with what is within where no eye can read what then poor sufferer dost thou want i want a wise and loving counsellor whose love and wisdom should come home to the whole of my nature i would work oh how gladly but i want direction how to work i would suffer oh how willingly but for a purpose god always speaks plain in his laws his everlasting voice my poor child he says dost thou complain that i do not prematurely give thee food which thou couldst not digest my son i am always one with thee though thou art not always one with me that spirit racked or blighted by sin my child it is thy father's spirit whence comes it why does it suffer or why is it blighted but that it is incipient love and truth and wisdom tortured or suppressed but law that is the will of the perfect is now was without beginning and ever shall be as the inducement and the means by which that blight or suffering which is god within man shall become man one with god first find the infinite said a wise man then name him as thou wilt it is not hard to know god said joubert provided one will not force oneself to define him and another of old time said lead thou me god law reason duty life 
All names for thee alike are vain and hollow. There is a section of Miss Nightingale's suggestions for thought called Cassandra. It is the story of a girl's imprisoned life. It is in part autobiographical, and I have quoted from it several times in the course of this work. It ends with the death of the heroine. Let neither name nor date be placed on her grave, still less the expression of regret or of admiration, but simply the words, I believe in God. End of the Religious Sanction Suggestions for Thought Continued